Have you ever noticed how cars often reflect who the person is? Have you ever noticed that? I say often, it's not every time, but often it reflects who the person is and what they're like and their character. You know, do they have a sports car or the pickup truck or, you know, the old beater or the real fancy, whatever, right? Well, there was a time where we had younger kids. And so at that point in time, we had a, uh, a green station wagon and, and, and a minivan. And that was it. I had gotten rid of my sports car little thing that I had before we got married. And so I was driving the green station wagon. And there was one day where I was actually at work at, uh, as an engineer. And I was driving down through the parking lot. And one of those guys jumped in his car. It's one of those moments where they jump in, start the car, and back up before they really ever look, you know? And so he jumped in, started the car, backed up, and ran right into my driver's side door and just, you know, it was bad. And so I had to sell the car, you know. So I ended up getting rid of the green station wagon, and we were looking for a sedan. It was still going to be real sedate, real calm. So we got uh, a Nissan Altima. It was silver. At the time, that was a real happening color. I realize it got overdone in there. But we got, we got a silver car, and we enjoyed it. it. We looked hard for it, bought it used. It was a great deal. And uh, the thought was, we were going to have that for decades, you know? Like, we were going to have that car until Megan got into high school, and we trained her on that car, and then she'd go away to college, and in her sophomore year, she could take it away, and a little tear in your eyes, you're just picturing how great that'll be, as she drives away in a car we've had for 10 years, and then we get, yeah. Well, then last week happened, where the car was having issues. The, the heat wasn't quite working right, and there was, so I decided I better check the fluids on the thing and went out there, and the antifreeze was again, like, gone. So this is the second time, like, it's just, it's evaporating away. Like, this car is getting hot, and I'm looking for leaks, and there's no leaks, and, and the oil, I checked the oil, and the oil's down, like, way down, down, like, way down, down. And I, that isn't right either, you know? And so I put another, almost a quart of oil into that, and, and, I go in and I type on the internet and I type up 2002 Altima used oil. And I didn't like what came up. Some stories and histories of people who had a lot of struggles with the 2002 Altima and what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And one of the statements was eventually because of the type of problem that the engine incurs, you end up burning and using a lot of oil to the point where people were saying like a quart of oil a day. That's not using it. That's a hole. Like, I don't know what's going on and where it's going, but it's just gone. You know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, my car, although it's only eight years old, is beginning to demonstrate a little bit of age. And they're saying the cost to fix that kind of thing when it gets to its end is three to $4,000. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of it. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. So I get up this morning and I go out to start the car and come here. Okay, and it's not the battery. It's trying it's just something not right. Still don't know what it was. It started up and the kids look at me and they're like, I'm going with mom, you know? <laughs> so they go over and they jump in the van and I drive over here with that car. It looks nice on the outside. I'm telling you, it looks great. No dings. Paint job's good. Rims are nice. Had some really nice alloy rims on it when we got it. Still nice. What's on the inside though? Not so much. Isn't that often like us? Like we're sitting here trying to manage the outside and make sure it's got a great paint exterior and make sure it's no dings and, but the inside, train wreck. That's what Paul was dealing with when he was writing the book of Galatians. He's saying, I want to make sure you understand that it's about the heart. 
It's about what's on the inside. It's not about managing the outside, the exteriors. It's about what's on the inside. We have to get to the heart of the matter and make sure that everything's going well. That's Galatians in a nutshell. So today we're going to be looking at the last part of Galatians 6. We're closing out the sermon series today, get to the heart of the matter. And we're looking at Galatians 6, 11 to 18. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'd love to get one to you. We're going to be walking verse by verse through this. Paul is answering this question as a summary to all of Galatians. It's basically, how do we make sure that our heart is right? How do we make sure that what's on the inside is going well? That's what Paul's answering, and he's kind of summarizing everything as he goes into this last part of Galatians 6. So we're going to do some summarizing today as well, okay? So the first point to get started, how do we make sure that our heart is right? Protect your heart from those with selfish motives. Protect your heart from those with selfish motives. Let's just start out right here in verse 11 of chapter 6 in Galatians. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul's saying this. Now, he said this in a couple other letters, too. What he's really saying is, this is my own handwriting, guys. Like, I know I usually use a scribe, and I know it usually looks a lot more neat and orderly. And then I picked up the pen, and it looks like a train wreck. See? It's really me. It's me. You need to know that this is from me. Now, if you actually look here, it says, I am writing, right, in in the present tense. It's currently happening. So that means as he's penning those letters, he's writing it. Well, when did he start writing it? Did he write the whole letter? I don't know. It doesn't say that. Definitely, he started in that sentence. It could very well be that he's just writing this last piece and it's sort of this, the salutation, the, the see a part of the letter, right? And he's trying to put that in his handwriting. It's quite possible that's what it is. You don't really know, though. It could also mean he wrote the whole letter or a large portion of the letter. We certainly know at this point, the pen's in his hand. That's his message. He's saying, the pen's in my hand. I want you to understand this is where I stand. And now he's going into a bit of a summary of the first three chapters of Galatians. He says, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. I want you to understand that you are being forced to do some things by people who have an agenda. I want you to understand their agenda selfish. They're basically trying to make you say, yeah, it's about Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's about his shed blood. We need Jesus and we need what he's done for us. And, and there's the problem. They're adding to, they're not on the Jesus only plan. They're on the Jesus and plan. Well, why would they do that? Well, it says real clearly here, they're trying to have a good showing in the flesh. They're trying to manage the exterior and make it look appropriate to those around them who don't even know who Jesus Christ is, but in the flesh, they look good. Now, if you go back to Galatians 5, right, we had the in the flesh versus in the spirit. There's kind of this comparison going on of they weren't doing this good showing in the spirit. That's not what they're worried about. They're worried about in the flesh. What does it look like to everybody else around me? Not what does this look like to God? Am I, am I in alignment with him? Am I growing with him? Am I learning from him? But oh, what's going on with the people around me? And what do they think of me? A good showing in the flesh. Well, how does this help them? It says, 
and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Ah, a little bit of insight. So really, they were trying to make sure that they didn't take heat. Really, what's happening is this. There's this Jewish group of people, and they believe in Yahweh, and they believe in a coming Messiah and the law. But all of a sudden, there's been clarity to the fact that the Messiah was going to come first as serving Savior at the cross, and they step across over to here and they say, we trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can see how the law has delivered us up to a point of understanding your sacrifice is paying for us. We are loving you and accepting you as Messiah. And we're going to keep doing the law too. Because we don't want these guys upset with us. These guys were starting to persecute anybody that stepped over here. And they're trying to stand handily right in the middle. And let me tell you, it wasn't the place to stand. Paul was saying, make a commitment. It's Jesus only. And get on that commitment and stay with it. They're there for one reason. Selfish motivation. They're there for one purpose. It's going to benefit me to try to hang in the middle and make both sides happy. It's time to pick and move. You know who Jesus is. Follow him. That's what Paul's saying. This is all about some friends, in quotes, who are forcing you to do what's causing you to compromise the very cross of Christ. It says here, verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to keep you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they are recognizing the need for Jesus. They're not saying there is no thing in Jesus going on. They're recognizing that. Well, where'd that come from? I can't keep the whole law. I keep coming up short. The law is this thing that shows me perfectly how much I come up short. The law is this thing that keeps saying, you need to be this if you're perfect. And you go, oh, well, then that's not me. That's the role of the law. It's just so you can say, well, then that's not me. That's it. They recognize that. So they step over and accept Christ. And now they're trying to re-engage the law. He said, come on. Even those who are circumcised aren't following the whole law. If they were, they didn't need Jesus. That's the whole point. The law isn't getting it done and never will get it done. It's Jesus and his shed blood that are getting it done. We were told real clearly that the law had one purpose, to work as guardian, to deliver us up to the, fro- the cross of Jesus Christ. It said it was our guardian until the time of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it made clear what holiness looked like and that we didn't have it. And because it made clear that there would be blood payment to get things rectified, cleared up. And then you go, oh, now I get the cross. I can't do it and you can and you're shed blood for me. Got it. Welcome to the guardian who delivers us up to the cross of Christ. So he now says, they cannot keep it themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. See, they get to stand in the middle and go, don't, don't be mad at us. We're getting them to come over here. We're getting them to come to this side. So they're trying to basically build relationships to both ends. And really, in the end, this decision requires a little bit more severing. That's what's happening. Paul said, watch out, protect your heart from those who have selfish motives. Who are you hanging with as friends that could be pulling you down? That's what he's saying. You know, if we're going to answer the question, well, what's it look like to have a bad friend? What's it look like for me to be a bad friend? We might need to answer, well, what's it look like to have that healthy heart? 
So let's just go back through and review the six chapters of Galatians. We're going to throw this up with a slide. This is what a healthy heart is, okay? So we're just going to summarize. We've got 10 little couple of worders that each one of them is for uh, a different sermon. It's our 10 sermons that we've done in Galatians up till today, okay? So first, gospel-centered. No donuts. Remember that? We were talking about you put this gospel thing at the middle, this glory of God and lifting up Jesus' name, and then we wrap our human rules around it of how to protect it. And then all of a sudden, the rules become more important than anything else, and we just pull the middle out. We don't even care about the glory of God anymore. And now we just keep doing the rules because we feel all good about ourselves, and we create this world of legalism. That's donuts. Don't create them. Get rid of the donuts in your life. Love to eat them for breakfast. Don't make them in your life for living, okay? No donuts. It's gospel-centered at the core. Make sure your core is there. Number two, gospel-preserving. Once we understand what the center is all about, make sure you're helping preserve it. Not just with you, but with others. Make sure we're reaching out and caring for others. If you remember, this was the week where we got through chapter 2, verse 10, and it talks about helping other people and coming alongside of them and helping the poor. And it was the same week that Haiti had their earthquake. And so we wrapped it in that week and said, we're going to do some things where we reach out and help for Haiti. And we collected some monies where we are with churcheshelpingchurches.com, going down and helping work with some seminaries and churches down there and rebuild where things have been destroyed. This body gave over $40,000 to that. And we've got that collected together with a bunch of other churches. I didn't say this in the first service, but I think there was over $1.2 million given uh, between the Harvest and the Acts 29 churches just to get it started. And they're going from there. Gospel preserving. Reach out to those spots where the gospel is making an impact and make sure that people are being cared for. So gospel-centered, gospel-preserving. Third, consistent. You know, you got here by knowing who Jesus was. Don't add to it now. It's the Jesus-only plan, not the Jesus-and plan. We're not justified by doing the Jesus thing and a bunch of other things. We are justified by faith in him. It's his shed blood replacing what we owe and we have a relationship with him that then lasts for all eternity. Our faith, his payment, it's done. That's the end of it. Jesus only plan. Don't be adding to it. Well, what about all these good works people are doing and these good works that we're doing? And that's a great thank you offering. That's a great way of celebrating who God is, but it in no way is earning anything towards salvation with him. That's done. And it's done in the cross. Jesus only. Make sure we're there. Consistent. Okay? Fourth, faith-based. Wasn't that kind of obvious? Didn't we just get done saying it's all about faith? And Yeah, Paul decided to go through and celebrate a, do you understand what you have? Let's make sure that a healthy heart is a faith-based heart. That means you are adopted. God has made you his child. He has said, come, sit on my lap. Let me care for you. Let me reach out to you. He has said, You, I want to lavish and pour into. Not because it's about how important we are, but because we get to turn and celebrate him. It's about him being an unbelievable father who pours into our lives, but we pour back to him and it's all about his glory. May it not be about what makes us comfortable or what makes us happy, but it is what makes us celebrate him, lift him up, his glory. And as we go after being adopted, And the Holy Spirit taking up residence within and indwelling us and changing us from the inside out. That's when we can say a healthy heart is a faith-based heart. 
Okay, so gospel-centered, gospel-preserving, consistent, faith-based. Number five, discerning. What's this law all about then? Like, why are we even going after it? Well, we've already kind of said, make sure that we see it as the guardian that delivers us up to the foot of the cross. May we not see it as that thing that saves us, but rather that thing that shows us how we need to be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in God Almighty and his shed blood and forgiveness for us. Welcome to the role of the law. So it's discerning. Make sure we understand the difference and get where it fits in the process of bringing us to him. Sixth, hopeful. If you're trusting in him, if you have a faith in him, know this. You are an heir to the throne of the one who owns everything. You are an heir to the one who owns everything. You are an heir to the Almighty. Do you understand? Like, there's not a better place to be, is what he's saying. There's no better heirship you would want than this. This is where you want to be. Knowing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as your Abba, Daddy. Being able to rely on him and relate to him and know him for all eternity. There is hope in him. You're an heir to the throne. Number seven, clear thinking. Well, if all that's true, if I get to have a gospel-centered, gospel-preserving, consistent, faith-based, discerning, and hopeful heart, maybe it's time we start making our actions match what we know is true. It's all about living as power, live in his passion, live in his word. His power, his passion, his word. Make sure that we are in alignment with his word. Remember, this is in that part of Galatians where he actually went back and talked about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and how we can learn principles from what was going on and how God's promise is coming true and how we can trust in it. Know that his word, his whole word can be used in your life to lead you and guide you and direct you. Live according to his word. I just a little commercial. This, we're not joking when we say that. Like it sounds very church nice. But when we go home throughout the week, I'm not kidding. I'm talking about really spending time in the word. Saying, Lord, what do you have to teach me? If you're alive, if it's real, what do you have for me? What do I need to know to live in your passion and your power? What do you want from me, Lord? That's clear thinking. No joking. Yeah, it sounds a little bit Christianese. Just go home and read your Bible. I'm talking about open the powerful word of God and let him pour through you as you see. That's something I need to be working on. That's something God wants to be working on. That's where I need to add. Lord, change me. May I honor you more tomorrow than I do today. Clear thinking. A healthy heart must have it. Number eight. Free. Remember we talked here about... uh, hooking up in tandem and jumping out of an airplane at 13,500 feet, that free fall experience with the Holy Spirit, that's what it's about. It's about a tandem jump with the Spirit, this life in Christ. It's not a solo jump. It's you and the Holy Spirit, tandem jump, freedom, hooked onto Him. What an experience. Or let me see if I can pretend I'm all by myself most of the time and right? We can lose the privilege and the opportunity of that freedom. We need to celebrate it, protect it, and exercise it. Celebrate it, meaning recognize it's there. Protect it, meaning watch out for the friends you choose. He was hitting the same point there as he is right now. Watch out for what friends you choose and exercise it, making sure you're caring for others, celebrating what God's doing in their lives. 
freedom. You are free to experience a life with Christ. Go after it. Number nine, spirit-led. This is where we talked about uh, the hand in the glove, remember? The Holy Spirit is coming into us like a hand inside of a glove and moving and shaping from the inside. Not from the outside, grabbing the fingers and trying to bend and twist them, but inside and moving and changing us. It means the real you is actually becoming like him. It doesn't say, go try to be loving. It says that the Holy Spirit will be in you, and as he changes you, you'll be more like him. And as you're more like him, the fruit of him is love. You'll be loving because love is a part of who you are. You'll be joyful because joy is a part of who you are. It's not saying fake it. Remember we had talked about the plastic fruit, like from a distance you look at the fruit on the table and it all looks nice, but you get up close and you thump it and it just makes a loud plastic sound. Like that better not be who we are. No plastic fruit. Going after it, Lord, change me from the inside out. May my fruit be because your spirit is changing me. Spirit led. I got to tell you, if there was one thing you took away from all of Galatians, these five P's underneath it, this, this may be it for you. This might be the thing you need to take away. When we say walk by the Spirit, how do you do that? It's a metaphor. How do I do that? So let's get real practical. Here's some things we can do. Practice the presence of God, meaning sit quietly and seriously listen to a living God talking to you. Presence of God. That P is utterly essential. All too often we try to live life where we just forget about that. But he's right here with you the presence of god and then the passions of god make sure you hate what he hates and love what he loves it's like lord whatever ticks you off make that tick me off and and whatever you want to go after and whatever you want to be loving may i love that father may i share your passions as i spend time with you may you rub off on me i want to look like you i want to know you i want to love you i want to be like you your passions right here change me it's presence passions and then purpose why all for his glory first corinthians ten thirty one or colossians three seventeen. both of those are great verses it's all about his glory whatever you do wherever you're doing it it's whatever you eat whatever you drink whatever right it's all the little things all the big things his glory show him off so presence passions purpose and then power ephesians 3 May his power be unleashed in you in a way you have never experienced before. May you, as you go after this, simply find this. I had a plan for what I might look like. Wow, it's more than I ever thought. Lord, grab me. Grip me. I want to experience you like never before. May your power unleashed in me the power where when you spoke a word and the universe came into existence, may you come into me. And simply begin to clear house with me. Help the sin that's there. Help the self-muck. Whatever junk I'm going after. Let me let it go. Through the releasing, healing power of you and me. And then last. Now it's time for our job. And unfortunately, this is the one that most people just give right away. Put off, put on. You know, the don't do that. Do this. Well, is that really helpful? Like if we knew that and we could do that, we would just do that if we could do that, right? The put off, put on problem is that it's basically playing this game. Once I tell you what you have to do, then it's good enough. You should be able to go do it. And sometimes we need more than information. Sometimes we need the actual healing of the almighty in our lives. Wrong thinking, maybe what you could call stinking thinking, things that are affecting you and the way you act and behave. 
that God needs to begin to move on and shape. Put off and put on. It's our final role. We do have some work to do. We do need to do some exercising and some effort, some self-control, some trying to put ourselves out there to do the right things. But please don't do it until the first four have been done. And I'm telling you right now, a lot of you have been around church for a while. I'm telling you, the first four, you're going to go, it feels like a game. It feels a little mystical. I'm not sure how to do it. Like, I know how to do that put off, put on thing. I just got to go try to be nice to someone. So I made them a meatloaf sandwich and I brought it to them, right? Like, I did it. I did a good thing. Yeah, but inside is this coming out of a welling up of, I'm just, I'm loving the Lord more. And so now I'm loving others more. Or is it on the, I'll try to make myself look good on the outside and you polished up your Nissan Altima and you're losing a quart of oil a day. Where are you at? Let's go after it. Where it's real change from the inside. And then last is shepherding. Model God, restoring and doing good. Notice this, in that Galatians 6.1 passage, it says, for those who are spiritual, restore others. So it's saying, if you've got the other stuff kind of clicking, you know what's going on, you're working through it, you're beginning to grow, then turn to the one next to you, put an arm around them and say, I just want to show you what Jesus has done for me. And if Jesus hasn't done something for you and you haven't been blown away by it, it's time to sit down and have Jesus do something for you. Be amazed and blown away. Don't hear me wrong when I say do something for you. It's not about serving you. It's about you getting in line with him and going, I finally got it. Now he's touching me and I get it. Why isn't he just moving and shaping and touching me? Because he's looking for your will to come in alignment with his. So it's time to get in alignment with him. And once you're seeing that change, it's time to turn to the person next to you and go, I'd love for you to have the same to be restored, and to be doing good. That's Galatians 6, or actually all of Galatians summarized. Welcome to all of Galatians. You know, if you wrote those notes down, have all of Galatians in 10 points. Here's my question for you. Healthy heart, where do you need to be working? What do you need to be working on? Make sure you know where you're headed. We need to be working on a healthy heart before him. And we need to make sure that our friends that we're hanging with and drawing energy from and life from, that they're going after a healthy heart with him. Don't don't hear me wrong. When we need to have good friends, I'm not saying we don't ever be friends with those who are of the world, those who don't know who Jesus Christ is. What I am saying is don't draw life and energy from them as if they're directing and helping you. Instead, you're there being a friend to them, helping them. Okay? Do you see the difference? We're drawing life and energy from those who get who Christ is and know where they're going. And then we're reaching out into the world to a friend or neighbor next to us to simply walk them in and help them see what God's doing to us, with us, for us. That's the privilege. We talk about worship, walk, work, and witness. That's how we witness, is reaching out with a loving arm. Don't go down with. Don't go down with them. Okay. There was a guy decided to go hunting with a friend. So they're out hunting, and the friend goes, Whoa! A grizzly bear! A grizzly bear is coming at him through the woods, and so the guy drops to his knees, he opens up his backpack, and he pulls out tennis shoes. And the first guy who spotted the grizzly, he's just standing there shaking, nervous. And the other guy starts to put on his shoes. He's like, What are you doing? You know you can't run from a grizzly. And the guy looks up and he says, I don't have to. I just have to run faster than you. Let it settle. Yeah, he's like saying, if I can get faster than you, the bear will eat you and I'm good. How many of us have friends like that? 
How many of us are actually in a position where we've got friends that say, I'm here with you, but I'm telling you, if somebody needs to go down, it ain't going to be me. And that's the end of it. That's what we have to be careful of. He's saying, protect yourself. Choose friends that are going to support you well. Choose friends that are going to lead you into scripture well. Choose friends that are going to walk by your side as you're going through tough times. Choose friends that will not run when there's a threat of being eaten, but they're going to stand in there strong with you. Choose your friends wisely. That's what Paul's saying. So question, how are you doing with your friends? Who is it you're hanging with that maybe you need to be a little more careful about what you're doing with them? You got a name that you might need to let go of or a way that you might need to interact with them a little differently? How are you doing as being a friend? Maybe you need to step it up a little, challenging those around you, standing a little more strong, being a little more healthy. Protect yourself. That's the first point that Paul's making. Took him three chapters to get there through Galatians as he simply said, they are misleading you. It's the Jesus only plan, not the Jesus and plan. Your friends, in quotes, are there for themselves. Watch out who you hang with. Point number two. Seek to have your heart transformed as a new creation. Seek to have your heart transformed as a new creation. He's saying, once you've got the right friends, now it's time to go after being a new creation. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out, but this connecting word that means, yes, we're connecting and it's opposite, right? So it used to be about these friends and how bad they are and they're not getting who Jesus is, but far be it from me to go there. My boasting will not be in the flesh. My boasting will not be in others. My boasting is going to be in the cross of Christ. He says, boast in the cross of Christ that's where it's at. Why? <clears throat> well, we just got done singing a song, Stronger, where it says, it is finished. It's finished? So there was a work going on in the cross? It's finished. It's done. Payment made. You know, John made a point to me. I'd been preaching through this yesterday, so this was something I didn't say at the 9 o'clock, but she said I need to say it here, so I'll say it here. Have you noticed that if you turn on the History Channel... And they talk about Jesus. Somehow they always play it down. They'll question whether it even happened. Why? Why is the world having an issue with Christ and Calvary? Because of the work that's done at Calvary. Why is there some kind of sense of enemy going against that truth? Because it's everything. The cross is everything. Jesus Christ and his shed blood at the cross is everything. What did it accomplish for us? Let's step back into the passage here. It says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, there was a draw the world had on me. There was a connection. There was a pulling towards it. It's broken. And I'll tell you this, on the other side of it, I had ushered the world up into this very clean moment up on the throne and said, you take over. And I was happy to have the world there. I was happy to have me there. It was pretty much all about me. And the world was about having it be about me. And I was about having it be about me. Broken. It's done. Now, I've been crucified to that. And we're told very clearly that Christ is put on the throne of our heart. And if you want to say it this way, sin has been dethroned. 
It has no authority or power in your life except what you give it when you ask it back into the throne room, when you engage and entertain in things you don't need to. It has no authority over you. You are just letting it in. Stop. Dead to that. That's the phrasing. That's what the cross of Calvary does for us. Dethrones an authority in our lives and places Christ squarely in the middle if we trust in him. Lean on Jesus with all your whole heart and soul. You know, he says here in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In other words, look, we've got the Jews and the non-Jews. We've got the circumcised and the not circumcised. We've got the everybody included now. You see, I've got them all. I've got the them and the not them. So we've got them all and nothing physically about it matters. Do you understand? It doesn't matter that they weren't circumcised. It doesn't matter that they are circumcised. What matters is, do they understand the cross of Calvary and have they come to know Jesus? That's what matters. What doesn't matter is that external. So he says, neither uncircumcision, but what matters is a new creation. Are you a new creation? Have you said, Lord, please forgive me for walking away from you. Please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I want to give you my heart and soul. You are my Lord. Have you leaned upon him and said, change me? If you're a new creation, if he's at work in you, then you got it. That's what he's talking about. Be a new creation. Verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. As for all who walk by this rule, what rule? You know, the rule that it's about being a new creation. The rule that it's about not the externals, the internals. The rules where it's about get a relationship with the Almighty and let Jesus Christ change you and wash you and shape you. It's about a relationship with Him through faith. That rule. The be a new creation, as it says right before it. That rule. Those who are walking by that rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Why not choose like love or something else? What made Him choose peace and mercy? I'm just going to tell you here, I'm going to jump off a little bit, do it a little extra biblical moment here, but it says peace and mercy. I think there's a reason that he chose those two, and I think it's this. The people he was writing to were in contention. They were battling with people. There was sin actions, there were sin thoughts, and he said in the midst of your sinful battle or battle with those who are sinning, you're going to need to have tranquility of mind, peace. May you be able to be at ease. And more than that, Mercy, which means to hold back what's due somebody, right? A punishment due them. You've experienced mercy from God. Get ready to love mercy because you're going to have to give it. People are doing wrong to you and you're going to have to forgive along the way. Mercy. I think he really was saying peace and mercy. Two things that are needed if you're dealing with sin and sinners. Two things that are needed if you're dealing with people that are hurting you and hurting you on purpose. Peace and mercy. An easygoing mind as you understand God's in charge and there's a purpose and mercy, the willingness and readiness to forgive. Okay? Peace and mercy be upon you. Now notice it says here, and upon the Israel of God. If you have the ESV or the NASB, it says, and upon the Israel of God. And. The word there in the Greek is a connecting word, and. It literally means two different things connected together. And. Right? So we have 
those who were written to in Galatians, you know, the Gentile believers who were challenged to come to know Jesus, and now all of a sudden they're being challenged to become Jews too. So you have these Gentile believers who are being challenged to walk according to the truth of being a new creation and the Israel of God. Not those Judaizers who are mixing up the truth, but those who have really grasped following Jesus Christ. Those in the bloodline of Israel, but also following after Jesus, the Israel of God. Two different parties connected together by and, okay? Now, we're going to get a little theological here, so get ready. Everybody ready? Got to put on your theological hat for a moment, because this is a big deal passage, and we're not going to skip over it. It'll take just a few minutes to walk through to make sure you get it, okay? So, if you have the NIV or the NLT, it actually says something a little different. It doesn't say and, like there's two different groups being connected. What it says in the NIV is even, like namely, kind of like saying, this is my wife, Jana. Well, this is my, this is Jana, namely my wife. See how I just kind of extended and explained it with a sec. So it's one group, two names. Okay. So how could they do that? Why would they change it that way? Well, it turns out in the original language, the word used there, the Greek word is chi. That word can mean and, which is its normal usage. It means that like over 8,000 times in the New Testament where it's used. But there are a handful of times where it means this, this namely, this connecting two things together and it's really one thing, you know, this jana, namely my wife. So it can have that meaning too, okay? So you have to decide from the context what it's really trying to do. And quite honestly, the context isn't totally clear enough. So there's a lot of disagreement on this passage. The typical usage would be to use and, connecting two parties together, okay? And that's where I stand. I believe that this is connecting two different things together. I think it's connecting together those who were Gentiles that were believing in him. They were walking according to the truth. And then it's connecting them with those of the Jewish descent who are trusting in Jesus, the Israel of God. I think it's connecting two people together, okay? Well, maybe it's the other way. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, you might be able to convince me of that. Seriously, if we spend a little more time, I might have to wrestle with it. I might go the other way on it. So does it really matter? Are you just making a big deal out of nothing? I want to say this. No. We have to be very careful here. And here's where your theological hat needs to go on, okay? Is everybody listening? If it's two different groups, we have Gentiles who are believing, and we have the Israel of God, church in Israel. But if it becomes this connecting together, and there's really one thing, all of a sudden we said, the Gentiles who are believing in God, you know, Israel. Do you see what I just did? I just called the church Israel. You seeing that? I need a nod of a head before I go forward. Are you seeing it? Like, if it's the church, namely the Israel of God, all of a sudden I just called all of the church Israel. And all of a sudden all the promises of Israel in the Old Testament are for who? Now it gets a little muddy, right? So here's my request. Be super careful on this. You can say that it's one thing named a little differently, but you cannot fall down the slippery slope and say, church is Israel altogether. That's it. There is no more Israel. Now it's just the church. You do that, you're in danger. Like where? For example, if we go back to the Old Testament, God's talking in in the Old Testament to the Jews and he says, I promise you, and he walks through a number of promises. Did he really mean, wink, wink, not really you, some people who I'm going to rename Israel because they believe in me, but we won't go into that. Wink, wink, it's you, Israel. Is that what God is doing? So there's this deception somewhat going on. It says, I am the Lord your God. I change not. He made his promises. He's going to make good on his promises. 
You go, well, that's kind of a weak argument for it. Yeah, I know. Here's a better one. So that's one, okay? Here's another one. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. It says, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, then Israel will be saved. You hearing that? Romans 11 is talking about Israel and the Gentiles. Two different things. And he's not talking about one. He's talking about two and how they're handled differently. And at the point where the Gentiles have been managed, Israel is coming back in. There will be a time where physical, national Israel, ethnic Israel, is being dealt with by God. It happens. We see it in Romans. You're going to see it in the end, in Revelation. It happens. We do have to allow for ethnic Israel to be dealt with along the way. If we just collapse the two into one, we can lose that. Some of you are like, wow, does this even matter? It only matters for this. Be careful of what you do with the promises made to Israel and you start just attaching them to you. That's called replacement theology. I'm just going to take on whatever was promised to Israel. It's all for me. That's not a good idea. What it really is, is God's working with Israel and what he promises to Israel, he's going to make good to them. I read a really cool statement this week on summarizing it. So here's the summary all in one. Okay, you ready? So you can blow the cobwebs out and get ready. Here we go. It's this. Where God promises he will follow through. But know this, God can do that and more and still be fulfilling the promise. So when God promises to work with ethnic Israel and bring them through, and he's got a Jeremiah 33 promise of a new covenant with them that's going to be written on their hearts, know this, he's going to do it. But more, he's including all of us in. And he's doing the Gentiles as well. And we, who are not even Jewish, have a chance to believe in him and trust in him and have life with him. God's doing that and. That's how awesome our God is. That's how awesome our God is. So as we wrestle with this passage, and it's a little passage, I just want you to know this. You can go either way on it. I'm fine with that. Whichever way you want to fall and whichever way you want to read it as far as two groups or one group. But know this. If you decide it's one group, you're on a slippery slope. You have gone up over the top of a sand dune that's really, really high. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of sand dune where when you start walking down it, all of a sudden you start having to run because the gravity's pulling you. And you finally go so fast you can't keep your feet under you and you fall on your face. Sand goes everywhere. That's the sand dune you're on. Just know that if you equate the two, there's a danger there because you now have to figure out how you're going to keep them separated and where and what you're doing with it. And just be wise to this. Ethnic Israel is clearly dealt with in Scripture at other points while we're still around or beyond. So please, don't just make the two become one and walk away. We're not going to do that, okay? There is clearly a moment for ethnic Israel as they come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there's also a chance for us as Gentiles to come in. Galatians 3, 7 says it real clearly. That we, if we actually put our faith in him, could be called the sons of Abraham. We get to be adopted into that promise. That's what he's saying. The promise is to Israel, but we get to be included into it. It's not where he said, ah, forget you, I'll do it to them now. He says, you too. I'm including you both. That's how awesome our God is. Okay. So, that was our theological moment in Galatians 6. Deep breath. What are we talking about here? We've got a challenge where God has been giving us the opportunity to have our hearts looked at. And in the second point, we said, seek to have your heart transformed as a new creation. Have you ever noticed that often we can try to be a new creation and we're not even sure what we're doing and we miss the point? I'll explain it to you with kind of a lame example. We've, we've got a puppy that we watch during the week now. 
Uh, we've got somebody in our body here who's got a puppy at home during the day, and so we end up watching that puppy, and uh, we get the 8 to 5 gig, and then the dog goes home at night. So I don't know. You figure out if we got the better deal or the worst deal, but we have the puppy from 8 to 5. Jana loves playing with the puppy. She loves working with the puppy. So she takes this little dog out, and it's a three-month-old puppy. So, you know, lots of energy, jumping and bouncing. And we have another dog, remember? We got Teddy, Slug, right? So Slug is standing there, and this dog is jumping around, and nipping at her, nipping at his lips and trying to pull on his ears, right? And John has got him out and she's got the little dog on leash. And this little dog's at the end of the six foot leash and jumping around in, in Teddy's face, right? And Teddy just stands there and looks up at Jana and goes, oh, right? This like moaning whine. And she looks at him and he moans and whines again and again, like, why are you doing this to me? Take it out of my face. You know, that kind of thing. Here's the catch. Teddy's not on leash. All Teddy has to do is move a couple feet away. But he's standing there getting that, looking up going, why? Why this? And Jonah goes, move away, right? How often is that us? Where we sit in the middle of life, not liking what's going on, not liking what's happening, and God's going, I told you, you're free. You're off leash. You're un- unenslaved. It's done. Experience it. Step a foot away. And you'll experience it. It's time for us to be new creation. It's time for us to live the new creation. It's time for us to experience being off leash with the Almighty. Are you there? It's time. It's time for His power to roll through you. It's time for His authority to move in you. It's time for you to experience what God has planned for you. Or... We can keep pretending like we're on leash, looking up and whining, never quite getting the picture. It's time. As we try to have the right heart for him, protect our hearts with the friends we choose and go after that new creation. What do you need to go after? It's time to go inside out. Letting God work on your insides so that it can affect the outside. Let's pray.